Welcome to The Safety Plan, the show where I cover the latest cyber scam and how to avoid it on LCC Connect. I'm Paul Schwartz, and I'm happy that you are here. Let's do this. This morning, my daughter was singing She's Always a Woman by Billy Joel, and now that song is stuck in my head. I guarantee you've heard it. And she'll promise you more than the Garden of Eden. Then she'll carelessly cut you and laugh while you're bleeding. But she brings out the best and the worst you can be. But she's always a woman to me. But my kid was singing with cybersecurity words, so it sounded something like this. The fish promises you more than the Garden of Eden. Then it carelessly cuts you and laughs while you're bleeding. But fish brings out the best and the worst you can be. But she's always a fishy male to me. <laughs> Obviously, the college has allowed me budgetless artistic freedom on this show, and I will take advantage of that position. So welcome to the Safety Plan Show. Here's the format. First, I will describe a real-world cyber scam like phishing or malware or identity theft. Second, I will then explain why it could happen to you. And third, how to protect yourself so it doesn't happen to you. So why should you listen to the Safety Plan episodes? First, as a leader, I want to share my cybersecurity knowledge with you so that you can hopefully learn, grow, and become inspired by it. Second, a community knowledgeable on cyber scams will not fall for them in the future. And third, if people start practicing good cyber practices in their lives and at home, then they practice those same skills at work, which makes your business or company or local community college more secure. Win, win, win. Okay, I am Paul Schwartz, and I work at LCC as the Director of Information Security. I coordinate security issues for the college, things like data breach coordination and account compromises and proactive phishing and implementing projects to improve the college security posture. I've worked in cybersecurity for 27 years, including 20 years in the Air Force before ending up at LCC. I have my own shelf in the break room refrigerator, so people think I know stuff, which proves I am smart. S-M-R-T smart. Okay, it's now time for the Cyber Scam Roundup. Let's focus on today's topic, which is job scams. Finding a new job can be difficult. Scammers are incredibly tuned into the fact that some job seekers are desperate to make money, and they will use this in recruiting new professionals who may not be accustomed to looking for work-from-home jobs. As the FBI warned a few years ago, fake job scams are an old trick, but online recruitment and teleconferencing apps have made it more lucrative and easy to create false interviews. Scammers advertise jobs the same way legitimate employers do, online and in ads and on job sites and college employment sites and social media, and then in newspapers and sometimes on TV and radio, they promise you a job but what they want is your money and your personal information. Fake job or employment scams occur when criminal actors deceive victims into believing they have a job or a potential job. Criminals leverage their position as employers to persuade victims to provide them with personal identifiable information, becoming unwinning money mules or to send them money. Fake job scams have existed for a long time, but technology has made this scam easier and more lucrative. Cyber criminals now pose as legitimate employers by spoofing company websites and posting fake job openings on popular online job boards. They conduct false interviews with unsuspecting applicant victims, then request their information or money from these individuals. The PEII, or Personal Identifiable Information, can be used for a number of nefarious purposes, including taking over victims' accounts, opening new financial accounts, or using victims' identity for another deception scam, such as obtaining a fake driver's license or a passport. 
Criminals first spoof a legitimate company's website by creating a domain name similar in appearance to a legitimate company. Then they post fake job openings on popular job boards that direct applicants to the spoof sites. Applicants can apply on the spoofed company websites or directly on the job boards. Applicants are contacted by email to conduct an interview using a teleconference application. According to victims, cyber criminals impersonate personnel from different departments, including recruiters, talent acquisition, human resources, and department managers. Cyber criminals executing this scam request the same information as legitimate employers, making it difficult to identify a hiring scam until it's too late. Okay, so I want to focus today's podcast on the indications of a scam. I've divided it up into several categories. The first is kind of a general or a common trait that goes on between these fake job scams. First indication is the job ad will often say that you can work at home. This is a classic example of this as an online tutor. All right, next, the ad may say that the schedule seems very flexible or too flexible, like an unconventional schedule, like you'll only have to work two or three days per week. The job post or email has obvious grammatical or spelling errors or inconsistencies. That's a sign of a job scam. And a job description that is unusually vague. The position initially might appear as a traditional job, but upon further research, it sounds more like an independent contractor opportunity. So kind of a bait and switch. The posting neglects to mention the responsibilities of the job. Instead, the description focuses on the amount of money to be made. So they don't really tell you what the job entails. Say a job ad might offer some sort of government job that no one knows about. That's a typical sign of a job scam. And a job posting that advertises that you don't need any experience and it comes with a high income and there's no company name. There's a huge range of jobs. These are all indications of a job scam. Now that we've covered the general and kind of common traits, I want to get into the unrealistic expectation portion of spotting and indicating of a job scam. So if it's too good to be true, and what do I mean by too good to be true? First of all, if the job ad promises you a job, or if it guarantees that you will make money, the job ad may be that the pay is much higher than expected, much higher than the typical for that type of job. The job ad might say it could give you quick money or unlimited earning potential. These are signs of a job scam. The job ad might describe the job where it pays extremely well, but anyone can do the job. That's not typical. And finally, the salary range listed is very wide. Employees can earn between, say, 40000 to 80000 the first year. So these are all indications of it's too good to be true. The next trait I want to talk about is the contact. It might be a job scam if the company contacts you and you didn't contact them. That's a sign of a job scam. The next is potential employers contact the victims through a non-company email domain and teleconference application. So this is if you're applying for a job at McDonald's and the email comes from a Gmail account. The company has an email domain from another free provider, such as I just mentioned on Gmail. So you need to verify that that email address matches what is found on the organization's website. So a job at, say, IBM would probably come from IBM.com and not Gmail.com. 
the job postings appear on job boards, but not on the company's website. So you can validate open positions on the organization's website by checking their career or job site. You want to match up that this job posting isn't just on a job board, but it's on the actual company's board also. You want to also take a look at whether the recruiters or managers, if they have profiles on the job board or the profiles do not seem to match their role. And be cognizant of unsolicited emails that are not specifically addressed to you. So spammers and scammers, they can obtain emails fairly easily. And if this unsolicited email references a referral from someone, contact them to verify that referral. And finally, if you didn't submit an application to their official career website, that is potentially a job scam. So next I want to talk about the company's info and lack of that company info. You may have thought you found, let's say, your dream job, but upon further inspection, you can't find any information about the company. If you can't verify a phone number or location or web address or employees, you're definitely looking at a scam. In this day and age, real companies will have an online presence and some social media engagement. If they don't have a decent following, they may not be legitimate. So watch for anonymity. If it is difficult to find an address or actual contact or organization name, etc., this is cause to proceed with caution. Scammers will try to keep themselves well hidden. Does the organization's website have an index that tells you what the site is about, or does it contain information only about the job in which you are interested? Scammers often create basic web pages that seem legitimate at first glance, but they aren't. And finally, the employer contacts you by phone, but there's no way to call them back, so the number is not available. These are all signs of a lack of a company info and, and a potential job scam. So the next trait I want to talk about is paying up front. Potential employers require employees to purchase startup equipment from a company to be reimbursed later by the company. That's a sure sign that the job is a scam if you're required to pay up front for equipment. These scam employers may also require applicants to pay up front for background investigations or screenings. They also request credit card information or bank account information. And the job ad might even say you need to pay to get the job. So that's a sign of a job scam. If you were required to deposit money into your personal bank account and then transfer it to an unknown person or companies is a big sign of a job scam. And there are other related scams, such as the background check scam, the pay for software or program scam, the pay for online training scam, the pay for a credit report scam, direct deposit before the interview scam, and the trial employment scam and a whole host of other scams that can roll off of that. The next thing I want to talk about is interviews. So if the company is trying to conduct the interview not in person or through a secure video call like through Zoom or Microsoft Teams or WebEx or no interview at all, these are signs that the job is a scam. If the interview is conducted through email or text message, most often through apps such as like Google Hangouts or Telegram app or text-free app and, or WhatsApp. That's a sign that the job is a scam if they're trying to conduct the interview through texting. 
Interviews are conducted via teleconference applications that use email addresses instead of phone numbers in the setup of those interviews is a sign that it's a scam. All right, next I want to talk about timing. For instance, if you get the job right away without having to do any of these things as a sign of a scam, such as an interview or a resume or any of the paperwork, they just offer you the job without having to do anything. Potential employers send an employment contract immediately asking for personal identifiable information. So you shouldn't be required to provide a social security number on the application for the job. That would be required later on in the process. Another sign is if there is a sense of urgency or the recruiter is pushing you to accept the job now. Any legitimate company won't push you in accepting a job offer immediately. Or you're offered the job without a recruiter verifying your work experience or asking for references. So they want to move the process along quickly uh, because it's a scam. Next, the employer responds to you immediately after you submit your resume. Typically, resumes sent to an employer are reviewed by multiple individuals or not viewed until the posting has closed. This doesn't include the auto response, but a response back to you that, yeah, you've submitted your resume, you have the job. That's definitely a sign of a scam. Next, your online resume is all that is required to hire you. That's a sign of a scam. The interview is conducted online or over the phone, and an offer is given almost immediately. So the timings of these things is not typical. Watch out for a fast hiring process. You may be a qualified candidate for the job, but be cautious regarding an offer made without first having an interview. An actual company hiring for a real position will most likely want to speak with a candidate before hiring. Along that same lines, it might be a scam if they don't need to meet you in person. Most legitimate companies will meet you at least once before hiring you. And finally, if they require you to provide personal information such as your driver's license, passport, or social security number during an interview, this is not needed until later, you know, the background check process. So that is a sign. The next sign of a job scam is if they are using fake URLs. So that's a website address. Scammers will try to recreate the legitimate company's website by slightly altering the web address. If you're not looking closely, you may not realize that you're being sent to the scam website. For example, a real company website might have the address, say, companyname.com. But when you're looking at a fake website, the address is company-name.com. That's going to a totally different site for a totally different organization. It's a subtle change, but it could indicate that you're not at the company's real website. Next is phishing. Emails, texts and phone calls and video chats and instant messages, you name it, and there is a phishing scam behind those. If a job is requiring you to click on a specific link or is asking for detailed personal and financial information, someone is trying to collect your sensitive information for malicious use. Phishing scams often look like they come from trusted and well-known companies, so always reach out to the employer directly through their website rather than to respond to any fishy or suspicious-looking communication. And finally, sometimes job scams use popular document sharing sites such as Google Doc or SharePoint. A less known scam includes inviting you or mentioning you in a Google Doc that you wouldn't normally use. The name may or may not be someone you know and the title of the doc may look legit. However, pay close attention to the email used in sending the doc as well as any links that might be included. These scams will typically provide a link for you to click on to start earning now. So great urgency there. I'm going to break here and continue this discussion on the next safety plan episode. I'm going to cover the common job search scams, how to protect yourself, and what to do if you're a victim of an employment scam. Well, that's a wrap of today's safety plan episode. 
If you have questions or have been a victim of cyber scam, please tell me about it by emailing lcc-connect at lcc.edu. Or you can find more info and past episodes of The Safety Plan on the internet at lcc.edu connect. This episode of The Safety Plan was recorded by Paul Schwartz in the TLC Tower in downtown Lansing Community College and produced by Lane Ingram and engineered by Big D Dedalian. I'm Paul Schwartz, and this is LCC Connect. So long. We're celebrating one year of LCC Connect, Lansing Community College's first podcast platform dedicated to keeping you connected with LCC and your community. Catch the vibe by visiting us at lccconnect.org and then click on the Celebrate tab to check out photos, videos, and find out how you can get involved. We are LCC Connect. Voices, vibes, vision. K-12 Operations at Lansing Community College is a proud collaborator of the Mason Promise Scholarship. The Mason Promise Scholarship is a community organization of volunteers that guarantees funding for two years of Lansing Community College education to selected Mason Public School students. For more information on the Mason Promise Scholarship at LCC, please visit lcc.edu slash hope. Sergeant Jason Nielsen was paralyzed while serving as an MP in Iraq. The sniper from down the alleyway shot me. Six weeks later, I woke up at Walter Reed, not really knowing where I was at. Paralyzed veterans of America's national service officers, such as Sherita Latham, are trained to help injured veterans get all the benefits they've earned. I could call Sherita at 11 o'clock at night, and she would answer the phone and be like, what can I do for you, Jason? If someone needs you. You listen to them. If they call, we're there for them. She worked with my wife hand in hand, um, took care of everything for me just so I could focus on just recovery and, and trying to get on with life. If there was no PVA, we wouldn't have the benefits that we have. We wouldn't know about the benefits. To learn how you can help paralyzed veterans, visit pva.org. Hi. I'm Lisa Alexander, and I host a show called Who's That Star on LCC Connect. This show is all about an inside look at the LCC community where you get a chance to meet our faculty and staff, plus learn about their passion projects at work and at home. You can catch Who's That Star here on LCC Connect or listen anytime at lccconnect.org. The Lansing Community College Foundation provides scholarships that make education possible, change students' lives, and uplift our community. The foundation annually accepts scholarship applications from November through January. Learn more at lcc.edu scholarships. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. You're listening to Start Here, Finish Here, and Everything in Between podcast dedicated to reaching out to students and their families to explain the nuances of transferring credits from LCC to another college or university, and more importantly, demystifying some of the popular beliefs surrounding higher ed.
Hello, everyone. I am here with Luke Richards, Transfer Specialist for the University Center and Transfer Initiatives Department. Luke is a Lansing native who, for the last six-plus years, has been working in higher education, focusing primarily on transfer, non-traditional students, and creating partnerships that enable students to maximize their college experience. Recently, he earned his master's degree in organizational leadership, and as I mentioned before, he is working at LCC as the transfer specialist for the University Center and Transfer Initiatives team, where he helps students maximize their ability to transfer courses and credits from LCC to their desired four-year institution. Luke is also an MSU alumni, where he earned his bachelor's focusing on social sciences, public health, and psychology, and most importantly, he is an LCC graduate. Luke, we're going to jump right in. Welcome to the show. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So one of the first questions I have is, what is the number one question students ask when reaching out to you? The number one question students ask is, you know, do the classes that I've taken or have completed at the community college transfer to the four-year institution that they want to go to? Or what classes do I need to take to transfer to my four-year school that I want to go to. And I'm assuming that that's important because all schools are different. So there's no like real cookie cutter menu that you can hand somebody. It's going to be based on what they've taken or what their experiences are. So when someone comes to meet with you, what should they prepare in advance? You're spot on there. So the best thing for students to come to me with is an understanding of what program or school they want to pursue whether that be psychology, pre-med, if they're starting at LCC, we want to know what their end goal is so that we can properly develop their plan at the community college. One thing that really helps with that is students bringing their unofficial transcripts that shows the list of courses that they're going to complete. Questions, it's better for us to have some questions from the student so that we know what important factors for them are going to impact that pathway, like their financial aid situation, Again, their program of interest. And then, you know, what school? Some schools have preferred programs like Michigan State where the admissions requirements differ from the broad school of Michigan State. So we really want to know, you know, as much as possible so that we can properly build that plan for the student to be successful. So one of the big things I feel like in education is paying for education, of course. Mm -hmm. So what are some things that I feel like there are things students don't consider when they're taking out loans. So what's the advice there? Right. Yeah. School is, uh, college in specific, is more expensive than it ever has been. So when we think about loans, it's important to consider whether the loan is subsidized or unsubsidized, how long you're going to be in school for, are there other ways of paying for school, in like scholarships or grants. It really all starts with FAFSA. So that's your first step, the free application for federal student aid. We want to make sure that all students, whether they believe that they're going to qualify or not, start off with, with submitting their FAFSA each year. That helps you know, schools also that they're considering transferring to build their financial aid package prior to them getting there. So sometimes that takes a little bit of time and to ensure the ease of transfer, it's, it's better to have those things completed beforehand rather than last minute. And I think one of the things that maybe people don't realize is there is a cap on that money that you can take from the federal government, whether even if it's a loan and it's not like free money in terms of a Pell. So what happens to students when they come to you and they're like, 
10,000 away from the cap. What are the alternatives? Yeah, we really got to get savvy with the funds that are left. So a lot of the times when students come to me, uh, one of the important questions that I ask is, do you know how much you've borrowed if you've taken out student loans? Because you're right, there is an aggregate loan limit, which inhibits them from surpassing a, a certain dollar amount that they're able to borrow from the government. One way we can offset that cost is through community college courses. LCC, every class that you take typically saves you about $1,000 if you were to take that same course at a four-year public institution. It's important to consider your options and, and really look at what transferable courses you can take at the community college that still apply to the four-year program that you're pursuing. Okay, so it sounds like you kind of need to make that transfer decision early on. Yeah, the earlier the better. What are some things students should consider when planning to transfer to a four-year institution? There are so many different experiences that a student can have for their four-year degree, more than ever before, in my opinion. You know, we have the, the ability to have asynchronous courses nowadays, so students can be in the classroom or sitting on their couch at home and still be participating in a live lecture. So the overall experience they're looking for is a big thing to consider. You know, are you a huge lecture hall type of student or are you more successful in a more intimate environment with 20, 25 students? There's also a big culture shift in going from a two-year community college to a four-year private or public school. So classroom sizes can be bigger, they can be smaller. Your learning environment might change. The courses might change. It might be more difficult to meet new friends in a larger university. So some of those social factors play a big role in kind of things you should consider when you're planning your transfer. A lot of the other things come down to the academics. So your studying habits, you know, community college students are primarily taking, you know, general education core classes that transfer into any program. When you get to that four year, those classes are going to be a little bit higher level and they may start to dabble in your specific discipline where the teaching styles might differ. You may have to adjust your study habits and your learning habits to ensure that, you know, you're still walking away from there with good grades and the education that you're investing in. Should students look at career help at these schools and see if they assist with any like job seeking options or process? Absolutely. Those services are, you know, kind of wrapped into your tuition. In my opinion, the whole goal of going to school is so that you better off your ability to have career returns on that investment. Every school that I'm aware of has some sort of career services, career center, career advancement, whatever it may be. So it's important for students, you know, to utilize those services or else they're going to be on their own and, and kind of at a loss maybe for, you know, what career opportunities might be. I mean, those, those services are there for a reason, and the students, again, are kind of paying for those through their tuition. So absolutely, it's very, very important to, to look at, you know, what kind of career placement each school has and what programs are doing better than others when you're looking at this investment. You ultimately want to get out what you're putting in. A lot of times those services are available even after you graduate, right? So if you're right. an alum, you're able to call back that school. I don't know if Absolutely. there's a year's cap, like, okay, you've been out 10 years now. What's... Yeah, most of them don't. Most okay. of them are, are lifelong. So, and, and again, a lot of them are free, if not most that I'm aware of. Right. I mean, in this day and age, when people are seeking out so many other options for jobs and careers, I mean, I think that's really important that they know they could go back to their school and say, hey, who's the person that helps me? write my resume because these are the 10 jobs I want or whatever. Right. So. 
When is the ideal time to reach out to the four-year destination? The earlier, the better. With programs changing and with higher ed changing, the landscape is moving a little bit faster than I've seen in previous years. And so the earlier that the student can, you know, kind of get a plan together, the better. It'll help ensure that they're maximizing transfer opportunities, reducing their overall cost or the initial investment. In my opinion, you know, school has to be a return on the investment. So if you're investing this time and money so that you can earn a lot more throughout your life, you want to do whatever you can to reduce that initial investment cost so you can maximize that return. I think the earlier you can kind of put together a plan and ensure that the time and the money and the courses that you're investing in up front are going to transfer to that four-year school, the better. There's also a lot of differing requirements for various programs. So I mentioned MSU, you know, they have their preferred programs or their preferred majors, but those all have different requirements for admissions. The more nuances you can kind of familiarize yourself with depending on the school and the program you're going into, the better you can reduce those barriers, those speed bumps, the time. So it really helps to kind of make sure that the student is, is investing the time adequately to make sure that their transfer is smooth and, and worthwhile. So really, the bottom line here is that it, the four-year institutions are the final say in what courses are going to be accepted. So in your position here now at LCC, working with transfer students, you're kind of that liaison. You're that buffer that goes between the four-year and the student when a student isn't comfortable about approaching that four-year on their own. So you're there to help and say, hey, this is what they're saying to you, or this is what's going to happen, or or that kind of thing. Could you talk a little bit about that, maybe, how yeah. that works? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> this you know, this has been a, a space that I've found myself in for the last six years, You know, kind of being that liaison to the school and in the four-year institution and it's allowed me to put myself in the, the perspective of both the university and the student what that's allowed me to do is kind of find ways questions information that's helpful for the student but also helpful for, for the university in that transfer path space that a lot of students find themselves in at the community college so what i do kind of on a day-to-day basis is not only gather a wealth of information for students but also take away from each individual situation that I work with students and try to find solutions or, or ways that we can start to make changes for those barriers that the students are running into, whether that be equivalencies, processes. You know, we're doing a lot for outreach, especially, you know, making sure that the students are aware of, hey, you're four classes away or three credits away from an associate's degree. Let's see what your your transfer destination has on their curriculum to see if we can get you an LCC Associates awarded or reverse transfer. That's a, a big thing now is students, if they transfer from LCC and they haven't completed an associate's degree, they actually only need 15 credits from LCC to finish an associate's degree if they've continued credits elsewhere. So making sure that the students are aware of that and helping with a process to get that in place to where if a student has completed a bachelor's degree and they've completed at all 15 credits at LCC, we want them to get an associate's degree. So it's a little bit of everything, but ultimately we, my role is just kind of helping students in any capacity in regards to transfer or reverse transfer. Is there some sort of preliminary form they can fill out before they come see you or that would make you reach out to them? Yeah, absolutely. On our, on our University Center webpage, we have a request for information 
form that the students can fill out. It asks them a few brief questions. We gather some information. We see what programs that they're interested in. And then I outreach to that student as well as connect them with a four-year that they're interested in. And then from there, we kind of help to build that transfer process, look at course equivalencies, when to apply, et cetera. Now, you mentioned the University Center, and I think sometimes that's the best kept secret on LCC's campus. So the University Center is a partnership between LCC and four universities, University of Michigan Flint, Central Michigan University, Northwood University, and Siena Heights University. And they all offer bachelor's and master's degree programs. And in not even so much that they have the classroom space, their services are available there. So you would be able to talk to advisors across the street one-on-one and get that one-on-one help from the people that have the expertise from those schools. One of my questions for that would be, what are the advantages to going through one of those partners? Luke, could you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, I think there's a few big ones. The first one you've kind of already mentioned with the intimacy and the one-on-one attention that the students get if they pursue a program through the university center. Each school has a representative or multiple individuals there being an advocate for the student and for the university. So they are that bridge between the university and the student at LCC or wherever they're coming from through the UC. So they get one-on-one help, whether that's financial aid, whether that's advising, they can sit down with someone right then and there, and they get that one-on-one attention that you wouldn't necessarily get unless you actively. My experience when I was going through school, it was when I needed advising help, it was a lot of work. And for the students that I worked with at my previous institution here in the UC, the students could walk in, they could call, and it was one call, one email, one text, one door that they had to open, and they were they were sitting down with us. Another advantage is the cost savings. So students can transfer up to ninety two credits from a lot of these uh, or into a lot of these schools. Which, from a cost savings standpoint, if you're transferring in three quarters of your bachelor's degree from the community college at the community college price, you're reducing a huge cost of that investment. So. If you look at a bachelor's degree, which is 120 credits most times, and you transfer in 92 credits, you're only left with one year of tuition costs, which for most students is not really easily attainable. But when you cut off three years and you take those at the community college, it's way more attainable than than you would think. Absolutely. Wow, that's a huge savings for students. And I think they don't always realize it because they didn't you know, we don't tend to think about bachelor's degrees in terms of credits, 120 to roughly 130. Well, if you're taking 90 at the LCC tuition rate, that's that's huge. That that makes a bachelor's degree uh, more doable, let's right, say. Right, right. Okay. Now, this show is built on the idea that we learn from one another's experiences. Can you please share a story of um, someone you helped or some experiences that you've had? Yeah. So previously, I worked in admissions for a a four-year school here in Lansing, where I primarily spent time helping community college transfer and non-traditional students. What I learned, you know, from working with these students and what was a very common theme throughout the majority of their pathways was that without their ability to transfer community college credits, a bachelor's degree just wasn't feasible. For most, it was the financial benefit of taking 60 to 90 credits that made getting their bachelor's degree feasible. But for a good portion, it was also just the support and resources and also the ease of getting into college after high school through community college courses. 
uh, that allowed for them to, you know, continue on. More and more, I'm finding myself working with students who went right to a four-year school and found themselves struggling to adjust to that college life. Community college has been their saving grace, so it's great to be in this realm and be working for a school who does nothing but support these students. So, you know, I guess the the point I'm trying to make from my experience is that community college for most, if not for all students, is the best option, uh, whether it be easing, you know, your way into college, returning to college, helping offset some of the, the costs to allow for more exploration at a lower tuition rate, to receive a more supportive, intimate education. You know, community colleges have so much to offer to really any type of student. You know, that's kind of my two cents for my experience. And I hope that, you know, in the future that can help out some students. Agreed. I think we do end up with a lot of guest students from other colleges and universities that are here to take that math class or whatever class that's tough for them on the main campus or at the university. They can come to LCC and get that more intimate help. And so I think it's easier. And I think we have more students like that than we realize. So um, I appreciate you being here today and kind of demystifying some of the things that um, people question when they think about college and how to transfer credits and how to actually get that bachelor's degree. So thank you so much for being here and sharing your experience and your, your expertise. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Start Here, Finish Here, and Everything in Between at Lansing Community College. Featuring the staff, faculty, students, and others that help to make Lansing's premier college what it is today. You're listening to LCC Connect. To find out more about our featured programs or to listen on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Engaged learning and academic success is a priority at Lansing Community College. To help students navigate their educational career, LCC has created a proactive approach to learning and providing students with several academic support services. To find out what's available, visit lcc.edu services. Who might you save? Your mother, your father, your husband, uncle, and son. Learn fast, F-A-S-T, the sudden signs of a stroke, and you could save your friend, your best friend, teacher, boss, coach. F, face drooping, A, arm weakness, S, speech difficulty, T, time to call 911, F-A-S-T, face, arm, speech, time. That's F, face drooping, A, arm weakness, S, speech difficulty, T, time to call 911. The sooner they get to the hospital, the sooner they'll get treatment. And that can make a remarkable difference in the recovery of your neighbor, the waiter, a fellow shopper, a total stranger, grandmother, grandfather. So learn FAST, the sudden signs of a stroke, then pass it on because you never know who might save you. Your wife, your colleague, teammate, mother. Spot a stroke fast. Visit strokeassociation.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. We're celebrating one year of LCC Connect. 
Lansing Community College's first podcast platform dedicated to keeping you connected with LCC and your community. Catch the vibe by visiting us at lccconnect.org and then click on the Celebrate tab to check out photos, videos, and find out how you can get involved. We are LCC Connect. Voices, vibes, vision. Lansing Community College's Business and Community Institute provides businesses with customized, synergistic trainings that realize logistical opportunity. Learn more about the future of business today at lcc.edu slash bci. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. We but mirror the world. All the tendencies present in the outer world are to be found within us. If we change ourselves, the tendencies in the world will also change. This paraphrased quote from Mahatma Gandhi is the basis of the program you are about to hear. I'm Dedelian, and this is Shining Stars, a program dedicated to searching out and bringing attention to individuals and organizations that are fostering positive change within our community and within our world. Thank you, as always, for joining me here on Shining Stars. Today, we are going to be talking about the Ronald McDonald House Charities, an organization that on a national level has been creating a home away from home for families with sick children since the mid-70s. To explain this in more detail, I've invited Carolyn Hurst into the studio. She is the executive director of the Ronald McDonald House Charities Mid-Michigan. She is originally from Langsburg, Michigan, a graduate of Langsburg High School as well, and a 2009 graduate of Michigan State University's Eli Board College of Business. She has also been with the Ronald McDonald House Charities for 10 years. Welcome to Shining Stars, Carolyn. Thanks for having me. So good to have you into the studio to talk a little bit about the Ronald McDonald House. Now, I think it's probably safe to say that most people in this area are familiar, at least, or have heard the name Ronald McDonald House. And although I touched on it a little bit in the introduction there, Carolyn, I'd love to start out by having you explain the role of the Ronald McDonald House within our community. So the Ronald McDonald House of Mid-Michigan serves families that have children in our local hospitals and clinics receiving any kind of medical treatment. Um, So we provide all of the amenities that you have at home to families that have kids in the hospital or receiving medical treatment. So a private bedroom, bathroom, fully stocked kitchen. We do homemade meals every day, on-site laundry, really anything you can think of that you have at home, we provide for them. So all they have to worry about is their child and we take care of them. Gotcha. Going, once again, going back to that home away from home is essentially the, the goal here. Yeah. I, I find a lot of the times with nonprofits, the people that get involved that are working there are usually there for a reason beyond I applied for the job. Is there a story behind how you became a part of the Ronald McDonald House? Yeah, my story is truly one of those that if I would not have been in the right place at the right time, I wouldn't be in this career that I'm in today. So I'm really grateful for the incredible mentor I had that recognized when I came on board that, hey, I think you could do this job one day. Would you like to? And the board as well, who you know, helped me get to where I am as well. But I came in as an administrative assistant thinking, I'll put some time in here for my resume. And then, yeah, 10 years later, I'm still here. So it was definitely unexpected, but it's been the highlight of 
my post-college and starting my career. As executive director, how long have you been serving in that role? Seven years. Seven years. Congratulations on that. That's Thank great. You. I would imagine that there's got to be a lot of rewarding parts of this job, but you are working in a situation where you see tragedy, but you also see a lot of good stuff. What's, what is the most rewarding part of your job? You know, the most rewarding is just watching the families go through the day and their their journey with their child, and you celebrate every success with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and what comes with that is also the difficult days, too. Certainly, yes. Certainly, there's always going to be difficult times, but knowing that the service that you provide every day helps them have a day that's not as difficult as it would be without you, it's incredibly rewarding. I would imagine, yeah. Just knowing that you've made a difference for them. And the difference changes. You know, you think about... Well, it's, of course you're going to have a meal today. Of course you're going to have, but when you have a child in the hospital, those things are the last thing on your mind. So we're able to provide that to these families before they even know they really need it. Mm -hmm. It's just all at their fingertips and knowing that, you know, if they're going through something difficult, that we've made it just a little bit easier and it makes maybe the more difficult days easier to get through. Very good. And it's awesome that you're there for them. Was there ever a time where you just all of a sudden had that understanding of how much of a difference you truly were making in the world? Yeah. So I've been um, with our house for 10 years now, and I've probably been able to witness about a thousand families utilize our resources in that time, Mm -hmm. which is a lot of families. So you, you feel like, okay, I know what it's like to have a child in the hospital. I know what they need. I know what helps them. Mm -hmm. But I recently, um, had my second child and we found out when he was two months old that he had the need for spinal surgery. Oh goodness. And it was basically exploratory because mm-hmm. he was so little. He went from, hey, I, I need this spot on his back looked at by his pediatrician to okay. you need a neurosurgeon in the period of about a week. And then surgery didn't take place until a month later. And that was incredibly scary to not know what was yeah. coming. And then to be in the hospital for exploratory spinal surgery on a nearly three-month-old at, by that point, And not knowing, they said, we don't know how long he's going to need to stay in the hospital to recover. Might be one day, could be longer. We don't know what we're going to find when we get in there. Just knowing how scary that is now from a parent perspective, even doing this for 10 years, I thought I knew, but there's no way you can understand that emotion until you are that parent. Mm -hmm. So I feel by knowing that now, I'm able to better convey you know, these things are important, they're impactful, they're helpful. But what it actually does, these small things, and I remember a story from a family, she said, you know, I only had to be here one night, but that was the best bagel I ever had. (laughs) And I know what she means now. At first, I thought it was like, oh, she was hungry, had a really long day at the hospital, and we had something there for her. Wasn't that so nice? Well, her bagel was my Pop-Tart at Mm -hmm. 2 in the morning. It's the difference between being able to stay in the appropriate mindset to be at the bedside and help your child and be a part of that medical treatment plan and totally breaking down. Just those little things help keep you normal. Mm. Um, and and that's what we're providing. And that sort of switch of being able to see both sides. I always say this is important. We have to do a good job at this. But now I can say this is why we have to do a good job at this. It's not just you should do it because it's good. You're now doing it because you know that 
actual impact of what it does for families. And I can imagine you never even thought you'd, you'd be going through that yourself. Yeah, no. How's no one no one plans to have a sick child. No, no one plans no. to be in the hospital or, or need surgery or have an injury or have a premature birth. Pretty much everybody who visits us has no idea they're going to be there. Which they is, get in that situation and then the hospital refers them to us and says, mm-hmm. hey, there's a resource across the street for you. So we're taking in people who are beside themselves by the time they get to us. Very good. It's an incredible story. Is your son doing well now then? He's doing so well. He's seven months old. He's growing despite me telling him he needs to slow down and stay <laughs> little. Um, well, you know that's only going to get more and more as you go, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know. My five-year-old started kindergarten this year, so um, the, I know they grow up so fast. And yeah, so his neurosurgeon said he will be a normal little boy with a scar on his back. You'll never really know that that's what he endured at that young age and what his parents endured uh, <laughs> during that time frame. So um, we're very lucky. It's an incredible story, and I'm, I am so happy for you that, that you know you came out on the other side and everything was well. It's an inspirational story. I would imagine that there are folks out there that would probably want to get on board to be a part of what you do, and I know you work with volunteers. Is that correct? Yeah, we do. We do have volunteers. We're pretty mindful of comings and goings in the house just to ensure we aren't spreading viruses or whatnot throughout because we are serving the region's sickest and smallest patients that we're we're very diligent with that. Mm -hmm. Um, So we have shift volunteer opportunities available that are the same people who come on a regular schedule. So whether it be once a month or every other week, and that's the first ones we've sort of re- returned to normal. Aside from that, we have lots of ways to become involved with volunteering through our fundraising events. And then we also have lots of outdoor opportunities as well. We have a full playground and landscaping that needs upkeep that we always use volunteers for. So lots of different ways to become involved. And if I'm catching it right, I, you know, as I was kind of uh, perusing your website, I, it seems like a fairly small staff. Is that correct? Yeah, we have four of us on staff. Okay. Um, and typically, you know, the majority of the programming is put out by um, volunteers, but we had to scale that way back. So our staff has been wearing so many hats mm-hmm. over the past couple of years. We've run very lean and we, we take it very seriously to make sure that families stay healthy. Okay. What steps would a volunteer need to take in order to get involved? Um, there's lots of information on our website on how to contact us. And Any one of web those address is? rmhmm.org. Okay. And um, there's a contact form on there. There's also an email address that they can reach us, and our whole staff will get that if they email us. Um, and then they can also call directly. Very good. We'll also have that information up on the uh, podcast show notes for this. That's at lccconnect.org. Like we said, that's this occasionally deal with some pretty tough stories. How do you manage to remain positive during that time? Because you just know that everything you're doing for these families end up being the bright spot of their story. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's nice to know that and encouraging to know and motivates the staff to know that, hey, in the end, we're going to be the brightest spot in their kind of traumatic story. Mm -hmm. And we were able to provide that sort of hope and guidance throughout their story and, and making sure the parents were able to be right at the bedside when they were needed most. We 
ensure that parents don't have to choose between a barrier of some kind Mm -hmm. and their hospitalized child. They don't have to worry about transportation. They don't have to worry about meals or where they're going to stay. It costs them nothing to stay with us for as long as their child is receiving medical treatment. So you know the service that you're helping to provide and the resources you're providing, even if they're going through some difficulties, probably the, the best experience that they might ever have. So that helps you stay positive for sure. And then, you know, we're very fortunate that our families typically have babies in the neonatal intensive care unit at Sparrow Health System. And that team over there is so incredible. You would not believe the work that they're able to do on babies that are two pounds and less. Those babies generally go home healthy. It just takes them a while to get there. Um, So you kind of always know there is a light at the end of that tunnel. They do get to go home with healthy kids, and you just have to kind of help them along that process. And it's an incredibly positive feeling and environment to be in. So if I'm hearing you correctly and distilling it down to the essential, it's uh, accentuating the positive and realizing the difference that you are making. Yeah. That's awesome. It's awesome. So how do you measure success in this type of organization? Yeah, there's a lot of, you know, numerical options to measure success. Mm -hmm. We can measure the number of nights, the number of meals, you know, Mm -hmm. the number of loads of laundry we provide, which is astronomical (laughs) for, you know, the number of families and days they stay. But really, you know, when I talk to our staff, it's all about serving families. The metrics, we, we do have them. We do count them. We can spit them out to you. But at the end of the day, you, you can start your day with a to-do list and then all of a sudden families happen in front of you. There's a very human and emotional component to what we endure during the day. Mm-hmm. And to be able to measure success is, did we serve them to the best of our ability? If we did, the day was successful. It, you can't always count on your time being spent where you think you're going to spend it. You know, we've got guest rooms to turn over, new families to welcome in, families we get to celebrate that get to go home. And there's a lot of work associated with making sure all of that goes seamlessly. And sometimes it happens all at one time. Certainly, yeah. yeah. So um, really success is you, you got to look at the human component of what we do. And if we treated people well and served them well, that that was a successful day. I'd say on an individual basis or a self inward facing way to look at things, that's probably the best way to do it. Cause I always feel like you need to feel accomplished at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And that is definitely the way to do it in your situation. Great. The numbers are awesome, but at the same time, that's what makes you feel good when you get home. Right. So, awesome. So as a nonprofit, of course, you rely in part on donations. Is that correct? Yeah, we definitely do. How, how would somebody go about donating, becoming a, a member? Is that what you would call them? Yeah, there's lots of ways that you can become involved in helping to support the families that we mm-hmm. serve. I mentioned earlier, there is no cost for families to stay. We never ask them to pay for their stay. If, you know, they can make a donation, great. If they can't, we've got them. Mm-hmm. Um, so your donations go directly to making sure families have the place to stay for free. That would be an example of a monetary donation. You can also participate by registering for our events. Mm-hmm. So coming to our 5K, 10K kids race in March or participate in our golf outing. We also take in-kind donations of items. So anything you use at your house, we need to use at ours. So we have a pantry to stock, groceries to buy, household items, cleaning products. Consumables, okay. Anything you can think of, we use all of that at our house as well. And then your time. 
we also will take on volunteers. Give so back to those volunteers. Yeah, yeah. There's lots of ways to volunteer um, and donate, per se, to the house. Certainly. So you seem like you've had, I, I mean, you've, you've, you've had this child that put you in a circumstance where you were the recipient of what you do. Is this something that you kind of thought you would do when you were younger? And if you had the chance to talk to yourself when you were younger, what would you say? I wouldn't believe you probably that this is what I was doing. Do Do any of us though? Yeah, I doubt (laughs) it, you know? Um, But yeah, I think I would just tell myself to take every opportunity um, that comes your way because you never know who you're going to meet or, you know, what group you may be involved with that will lead to your next opportunity because that's exactly how I ended up in the position that I'm in and just always being grateful for those that are willing to mentor you and, and soak up and learn as much as you can. Okay, very good. Uh, once again, we will have uh, contact information, website information, all at our podcast at lccconnect.org if you want to get all the details that I've been talking with Carolyn about. Thank you very much for coming in and talking with me. Appreciate everything that you do and everything that the Ronald McDonald House does for our community. It's very awesome. Yeah. Thank you for having me. We're going to finish up with just one more question. This is the question I ask of all my Shining Star guests. Are you ready for it? Yeah, I'm ready. All right. If you had the ability to snap your fingers and put one thought into the collective consciousness of the entire human race at the same time, what would that thought be? I would say that take every opportunity to make someone else's day a little bit easier, whether they know it or not. Remember, we can all contribute something good to this world. No matter how big or how small, a simple smile or a friendly gesture is all it takes to expand positivity one inch further. Thanks so much for listening to Shining Stars and, of course, sharing your time with me today. I'm Dedalian, and you can listen to this episode of Shining Stars On Demand along with other LCC Connect programs at lccconnect.org. with LCC Connect at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Lansing Community College students now have the option to go beyond an associate degree through LCC's University Center. The University Center is a partnership between LCC and five four-year universities. Located on LCC's downtown campus, these universities offer junior and senior level courses, leading to more than 30 bachelor's degrees, several post-baccalaureate certificates, and options to obtain a master's degree. Current and former LCC students can take advantage of the convenient location at the corner of Capitol Avenue and Shiawassee Street on LCC's downtown campus. Find out more about the University Center, visit lcc.edu. You don't usually get a stock tip from a 16-year-old, but I'm here to tell you about a different kind of stock. It's called Better Futures, a stock for social change that's not about making money. Instead, you invest to help students like me go to college. This is beyond a simple donation. It's the opportunity for America to invest in its kids, and take an active stake in the future of the country. The return on your investment isn't money. What you get back is knowing you protected our potential. So one day, that potential can grow up to become surgeons and architects, executives and engineers. 
people who can change the future just by being a part of it. My name is Alicia, and I'm your dividend. Invest in better futures with UNCF. Visit uncf.org invest. A mind is a terrible thing to waste, but a wonderful thing to invest in. A public service announcement brought to you by UNCF and the Ad Council. Being a father is an honor, a challenge, a duty, a celebration, and a testimony. I want to be legendary for you because I found everything to live for. That's dedication. Visit fatherhood.gov to hear more. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. This has been a presentation of LCC Connect, a weekly program that features the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College. All shows featured on LCC Connect are recorded at the WLNZ studio located on LCC's downtown campus. Each program is podcast-based and can be heard anytime at lccconnect.org. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on one of our shows, connect with us by emailing lcc-connect at lcc.edu.